0: Love your parents, love your kids, love your wife, love your husband, but don't put that love of your loved ones in the same category as your love for Jesus Christ. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Christ does bring unity to families. He does bring peace in our inner life. He does bring much of what we're saying here that he's talking about. But it's not not the ultimate, it's a byproduct of
1: being right with God. And he wants full allegiance to Him. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Meaning of Discipleship. and We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started.
0: Truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the city of Israel until the Son of Man comes. He didn't say, just grind it out in that city if they're persecuting you and stay there. And throughout this era, Christians have had to move on. And there are places where we can't even go right now. Uh, so there's that principle in healthy tension with uh, what he just said, and uh, we don't have to, you know, feel bad about avoiding persecution if we can, if we can. Uh, And then he said, don't expect better treatment than your master. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor nor is a slave above his His master. Jesus said in John 15, as he called these guys together yet again, right before he died, he said, look, if they hated you, if they hate you, remember they hated me before they hated you. And uh, don't feel like any opposition to you following Jesus is that you're doing it wrong somehow. You know, (laughs) they persecuted Jesus. And so he, he points that out here. But I love this little verse, verse 25. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. It's enough. I'll tell you, that should be the goal of every Christ follower. If you know Christ, just remember it's enough to be treated you know, to become as your Savior. And our goal is to be Christ-like in every situation. And I love that little phrase, it is enough. Therefore, verse 26, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Boy, that's a sobering principle. The Bible says it many, many times. Things that we think we cover up, they come out, and they will. And I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how big you are in business or politics. It'll come out <laughs> sooner or later, you know. Trump's bankruptcies will come out. Hillary's emails, classified, that stuff comes out. I don't care how connected you are trying to cover it up. And uh, it's very sobering to realize that uh, the book of Romans, which... Uh, explains the gospel, says, God will judge, Romans 2, verse 16, the secrets of men, according to the gospel. Uh, if you choose to face God on your own without responding to Jesus Christ, you'll every skeleton in your closet will come out. You say, well, I don't have any. Well, I think you do. I know I do. Uh, everything hidden will come out. And that's a principle of the Bible that I just uh, touch on here because he's using it as an encouragement. He says, don't fear. They're doing sneaky things, trying to... And David in the Psalms would often find himself uh, dealing with treachery and terrorism, and he took comfort in the fact that the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. And then he says, verse 27, what I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And uh, what you hear whispered in your ear proclaim upon the housetops. What they learned in private from Jesus, they were to proclaim in public. And there's a principle for us. uh, Every Christian that I know that really bears fruit for Christ spends time with him in secret, if you will. I hope you're getting that time with him. But when you learn it in private, then you can proclaim it in public. And we need that private time with the Lord. And don't fear, verse 28, those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who and what you and I fear will greatly determine uh, the life course of my life, your life, our ministry, if you will, Uh, how we impact others, who we fear. And he says, fear God, not man. Verse 28, fear God, not circumstances. Verse 31, fear God, not the devil and all his hosts. Now fear the Lord. But when we say fear the Lord, it is so... I guess counterculture to even the way the church talks today. And when I say the church, I mean Christians in general in America. That I almost always have to explain the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture teaches. But he's not talking about a sniveling, cowardly fear, or no, it is that reverential awe, that trembling. Before the Lord himself. And it's so foreign to our culture because we're so... We've moved so far away from any kind of real reverence for God. But I tell you, fear of the Lord... We don't... You maybe hardly hear the term anymore, God-fearing person. And boy, what I hear in my church is that we don't have to fear. We can relax and be comfortable. And I say, you know, the Bible uses this term all the time. And uh, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning point of wisdom. It's very parallel to trust. You say really. And yeah, the proverbs uh, give hebraistic poetry, you know, they're they're written in couplets. They're written with their pithy sayings and it's one reason why it's good to to read the proverbs. You just gain wisdom for life. But Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this. The fear of man the fear of man brings a snare. But He who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The Proverbs often say the same thing twice with just a different twist. And so you see it. The fear of man brings a snare. We would expect him to say, but the fear of God, the man who fears God, will be exalted. And he is saying that. But he changes words. The fear of man brings a snare, but... He who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Those who fear the Lord find that you can trust in Him. And so I explain that because it's uh, perhaps not in our intuitive understanding until you've really heard how the Bible uses that term. Verse 29, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. To strengthen their trust, and I might add their fear of the Lord, because I just said fear and trust go together when you really know who the Lord is. He says, just think about who your Lord is. He's called your father, your father. And uh, the father takes care of the sparrows. He'll take care of you. He purchased you, Christian, with his own blood. He's invested everything in you. If he takes care of the beasts that perish, if a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing about it, oh, he'll take care of you and me. And i uh I believe, you know Jesus, this time of year, I get outdoors as much as I can. I'm sure you do too. And it it's a marvel to me to to uh, just look around at creation. and Jesus was always saying things like, "Look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies." And he would draw analogies that way. We've been worshiping our worship services in the evening outdoors, and we've we've still got a couple more. Uh, We're going to do it in the morning this Sunday, and then the next Sunday another time outdoors. And it's exciting to just be out in the air and learn what you can. Jesus lived in a rural agrarian culture and would often point at things. And here he says, you know, a sparrow doesn't uh, fall to the ground. And then he says, look at verse 31. He applies it. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Is there anything that God doesn't know about you and me that he doesn't care about? He's got the hair of our head numbered. Um, what a comfort that is. You and I are tempted to think there is one who whispers in your ear, I'm sure this morning, maybe at a 10 o'clock appointment, maybe at 11 when you were trying to get the deadline or whatever, you know, there's... A voice that whispers, he's forgotten you, he doesn't have time for you, he doesn't hear your prayers, don't bother him with little things. You can pray to God about anything. In fact, can you name me something in your life that is big to God? <laughs> you know, you say, well, I, I can't bring him to the little things. Well, what do you think isn't little to him in that sense? And yet, I say it in reverse, he cares for you. He bought you with his own blood. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He can answer and will anything you ask. You can go right to him. Now, there's a liar who says he doesn't care. And we know who that is. He's talked about him a lot. He's the father of lies, uh, Satan. But notice what Jesus calls God here, your father. Verse 29, not one of these sparrows that are worth a penny, you know, half a penny, two of them sold for a cent, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Enjoy your father. If you've been born again through faith in Jesus Christ, you have been born again into a new family, and you don't have to say to God, as I've heard public prayers, God Almighty maker of heaven and earth. It's appropriate to say that. It's good to remind ourselves, but we can actually say Father to Him. He's our Father. Enjoy Him. Fear Him. Reverence Him. Trust Him. And uh, He always has your best interests in mind. Verse 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who's in heaven, but whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. I'm always uh, concerned when I meet people who say they follow Christ but they don't want anyone to know or they don't confess him publicly. Maybe once at church they did or but at the workplace, I don't want anybody to know that they're a follower of Christ. Um, You say, but yeah, but Scott, in my field, you get ridiculed. If people knew I was a Christian, they would mock me and ridicule me. You know what? I doubt it, first of all. I really do. I live in the same world you live in. And I find that when we identify with Christ, usually we don't face ugly ridicule. I doubt it. But on the other hand, I would say you might be ridiculed. I have been ridiculed for Christ's sake, and it's not the end of the world at all. (laughs) In fact, uh, you read these words of Jesus, and if we're trying to avoid any kind of uh, identifying with him because it may not be popular, we're really missing out on what's being said here. But by the way, verse 32 and 33 Everyone who therefore shall confess me before men, I also will confess him before the Father. And whoever will deny me before men, I also will deny him before the Father. He's speaking not of momentary lapses or momentary successes. He's speaking of life choice. Okay? There have been times when I have failed to stand up and be counted for Christ. Peter, one of the guys listening to this was going to have perhaps the most famous lapse. I don't know the man. Three times. But he did know the man, didn't he? And the man, Christ Jesus, was praying for him. And so it's not he's talking about a momentary lapse nor a momentary victory. Don't be telling me that you held your hand up at some meeting 25 years ago, you know. Uh, That might have been significant. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying he's looking for life choice where we identify with him. And uh, I just want that to be understood. Now, notice verse 34. Let me just read uh, 34 through 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall lose. Find it. Now, let me just address that as a paragraph, and say that in this section it says so much, and it's notice it's a warning, it's a warning about wrong thinking. Look at verse thirty-four: "Do not think." <laughs> and apparently, when he says that, uh, people did think certain things, and I would add, when Jesus says, "Don't think." We do think this way sometimes. We're prone to wrong thinking. One of the things about the Bible that is so helpful is that it renews our mind and we start to think rightly. Instead of thinking the way Portland does or the way the United States does or the way everybody in our industry thinks or you know, just thinking the way everybody a group think, instead of thinking that way, when you start to spend time with God, you start to think the way He thinks And he renews your mind, and it transforms your attitudes, your actions, your priorities. And so Jesus warns here, he says, don't think, and then notice what he says. And you say, well, what do you mean? We're prone to thinking wrongly, to thinking false thoughts, to thinking with false patterns. And so you say, well, unpack that for me. Well, let's just look at it, verse 34. Do you, let me ask some questions, and we'll just walk through it. Verse 34, do people today, maybe you, maybe me, but do people today think that uh, Christ came to bring peace? Well, yeah. Do people think, verse 35, that any kind of family disruption would uh, be carrying this Christianity thing a little too far? Well, yeah. Yeah. Do think people think, verse 37, that to allow Christ to take precedence over even family matters is kind of dangerous fanaticism. Well, yeah, I know people that think all these things. Do people today, verse 38, think that you can be a Christian, a follower of Christ by simply assenting to a creed? Do people sit in church, perhaps, and say, I believe in, I believe in God the Father, Almighty maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. And just by checking a list of beliefs, think they're a Christian without the corresponding heart change that follows him and denies self and repents of sin. Well, yeah, people think all those things. Uh, No wonder he says, don't think. We do think that way. Why do we think that way? Well, I don't know all the reasons, but I'll give you two thoughts. I'll give you two thoughts. Uh, One, we think that way partly because that's how we naturally think. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2.14. Christianity is not just come. you don't come to it and what it means to follow Christ by just thinking it through and logical deduction. No, we need to have our mind transformed. We need to come into contact with the living God. And when we do, when we put our faith in Him, we are born again. And we are a new creature. So we're no longer thinking like the natural man, although we still are very capable of it. So I just say we naturally have a tendency to believe lies to believe wrong thoughts, people all around us. As you walk back to your office, you'll pass person after person uh, believing lies today. And Jesus came to set us free from that to help us think truth. But uh, the second reason that people think those things that I just underlined, sadly, is because a lot of churches teach those things. We have lived in an era today where we assume that christ is kind of came to kind of help us with our marriage or help us with our kids or give us a peaceful existence or uh, over in africa one of the things we're facing big time as we as we train and equip pastors with the romans project is the idea that if you'll follow jesus he'll make you wealthy and that's sweeping through much of, and it's certainly here in america and that's where it came from that kind of thinking, but uh, no, it's sad to think that there's books that teach this. There's seminars that propagate these kinds of thoughts. In the name of Christ, and I say, <laughs> I want to listen to what Jesus said, not to what some televangelist says. Or, uh, you know, you always want to ask, what does the Scripture say? So. There are many who say, peace, peace, at any price. There are many who automatically think that anything that divides people is not of God. We should have unity. And Jesus said, no, don't think, verse 34, that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. You'll have opposition to following Jesus, even from those, verse 35, closest to you. Even from family members. Don't think, don't be surprised, I guess I would say, and uh, don't think, oh, I must be doing it wrong or following Jesus wrong when there's some opposition. There will be those in your own family who will say, why do you have to go to church all the time? Or don't go twice in one day. Or, you know, you're becoming a little carried away. That goes with the territory. Uh, Love your parents, love your kids, love your wife, love your husband. But don't put that love of your loved ones in the same category as your love for Jesus Christ. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Um, I don't know. I was, I guess I, I think I have time. I'm going to try because uh, what I'm saying here is... Christ does bring unity to families. He does bring peace in our inner life. He does bring much of what we're saying here that he's talking about. But it's not not the ultimate. It's a byproduct of being right with God. And he wants full allegiance to Him.
1: You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Meaning of Discipleship, a message from our study of the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to abideintheword.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. Something we've been making available as a thank you gift for our listeners are USB flash drives loaded with Bible teaching series in their entirety. So currently, we're offering the entire teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. That's 109 full length messages, over 50 hours of clear, Christ centered Bible teaching on this important introductory book of the New Testament. We'd like to make these teachings available to you, our listeners. Just make your request along with your gift of any size to the ministry of Abide in the Word. You can do that during regular business hours by calling 503-524-7000 or mail at PO Box 19191, Portland, Oregon 97280. You can simply click on Contact Us at AbideInTheWord.us anytime. We'd love to put one of these valuable resources in your hands. Now before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Why was John in prison?
0: He was in prison because he called out Herod's moral sin. He said, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herod was living in immorality. And John called sin, sin. And he called for repentance. He did what's not popular. And he was in jail for it. And he would be beheaded for it. Uh, Many today have a hard time stating what God says regarding sin. But sin must be pointed out. And John did, and John suffered for it. But when you suffer for righteousness' sake, when you suffer for truth's sake, you can be sure that you're actually, the New Testament puts it this way,
1: sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Pastor Scott will bring a message titled, Share the Sufferings of Christ. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.